You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome into another episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. Still on the mend from COVID and coughing a lot, so I'm not going to be able to record a full episode for you today. But I wanted to share another message with you that I taught at church, and this one is a take on the book of Jonah that you've probably never heard before. Um, And I think you're going to find it very, very helpful, both practically, but also from a theological, uh, nerdy perspective as well. So I'm going to dive right into it without further ado. Hope you really enjoy it, and I can't wait to catch up with you next week here on the podcast. Jonah, uh, chapter number three, and um, we're going to read just a few verses going into chapter number four here, and I'll warn you right right away, they're pretty depressing verses, <laughs> um, and uh, I picked the worst sounding verses that I possibly could out of the book of Jonah, and uh, decided I would start with those and just get it out of the way, so um, I'm excited for this time, and believe it or not, there is a really good lesson to get out of this story, and it has absolutely nothing to do with a fish or a whale. And um, so I'm excited to, to bring a new perspective to you, perhaps, tonight, uh, something that you've never maybe seen or heard before. So uh, let's, uh, let's dive into it. We're going to read these couple verses, and then we're going to pray and dive into the text. So Jonah chapter 3, and let's start at verse number 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. So real quick, real quick, to to zoom out for a second, this is Nineveh that we're talking about here, and we will talk a lot about Nineveh tonight. They are uh, just, imagine the worst people that you could, like your mortal enemy, okay? These people are turning and repenting to God. And the prophet of God then says, In verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, the book says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. So Jonah, the prophet of God, is very angry that somebody repented and that God did not do evil to them. So uh, let's start with that. Go ahead and pray, and we will uh, dive into the text tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, and thank you for the opportunity to gather together tonight. And um, Lord, it's a a wonderful privilege to me. I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. And I just uh, pray that you would help us to learn something uh, from the book of Jonah tonight that would help us, Lord, that um, we would take away a lesson from this legend in our own lives tonight that we can uh, apply. It's in your name that we ask and pray. Amen. So uh, on our very first date, so I I met Tiffany in uh, Roanoke, Virginia, and uh, her daddy used to pastor there, and I, I came to uh, rolled up on a uh, on a bus with the uh, uh, the Easter Brothers. They're a bluegrass gospel group from uh, out in Mount Airy, and I, I spent about six years on the road with them. And uh, we rolled up at her daddy's church one night. And uh, to make a long story pretty short, I left with her phone number thanks to some uh, the sovereignty of God and some really uh, eager people to get us hooked up. Um, and so I, it, it worked for me. And so uh, soon after that, we went on. A, a date in Roanoke. So I think this would, it's either our first or our second date. I can't remember which one, but we were going to go to uh, a nice Italian restaurant. I think it was an Italian restaurant there in town, or uh, it was the sandwich shop. That's what it was, but they were kind of Italian, whatever. And 
you know, it's, it's close enough, okay? Trust me, if you, if you knew the whole story. And so we were driving, and this was the first time that I had ever uh, ridden with her in the car, driving. And on the way, now this place is only about, you know, 10, 15 minutes from the house. We ran three red lights. So I, I don't know if uh, it was just that she was so nervous because, you know, I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> you know, so I mean, I'm not sure if that's what it was or, or really what the deal was. Uh, but I found out that night that, um, that road rage is a real thing and um, that my wife tends to struggle with it a little bit. And um, unfortunately, I don't know, maybe she's rubbed off on me and she says I'm the worst driver ever. So that's really saying something. Um, but apparently I have some, some problems uh, too, where I get mad at people and I'm from New Jersey. So I at least have an excuse to have bad driving skills and road rage issues. Uh, but what's really interesting is just every time that I get in a hurry, I mean, I can diss her all night long, but every time that I get in a hurry, and that's usually when I'm running late to church, um, I do the exact same things that I crucify other people for. Does anybody, am I the only person who does the exact same things, even if you don't want to do them, you, hopefully you don't want to do them, that a lot of times you judge other people for, or you get on to other people for. And that is exactly what Jonah's problem is here in this story. Now, he's not dealing with road rage. It's a lot worse for Jonah, unfortunately. Um, but it, a lot of times we get in this position where we are judging other people and we're thinking of, you know, bad thoughts about other people. And it's the very things oftentimes that we need the most help with. And so I don't know if that just raises that awareness level. You know, we're looking, we're, that's the thing that we're most conscious of in our own life, but we don't want to admit it to ourselves, et cetera. And uh, I was talking with, uh, with Pastor Jake a little bit earlier, texting with him. And, um, you know, we were just talking about the, the lesson for tonight. And I was thinking, you know, last week I chose, or not last week, but the last time I taught, I chose Nehemiah. And that story didn't really end very well. And for tonight, I chose uh, Jonah. And Jonah's story really doesn't end very well. And I got to thinking, you know, is it just because I picked those two? And I started thinking through all of the other, you know, great characters, the legends from the Bible. And you go one by one, you know, you go David, you go Abraham, you go Gideon. I mean, some of them had some redemption, but a lot of their stories either don't end very well or just have some serious, serious bumps in the road. So really the, the lesson that we can learn from so many of them is that uh, we need God's grace. That is the lesson. They all point to Jesus. Now, um, at least many of them, you can read Hebrews chapter 11. That's what Bible nerds call the hall of faith. And you can read down through that. And at least with some of these people, you can point to their faithfulness and say, well, we can at least learn that from them, that they were faithful to God no matter what. We can't even say that about Jonah. It doesn't even end that well. We can't even speak of his great faith because the story ends with him getting super upset at God. And honestly, he doesn't even answer God. That It just is left as an open question. And so we're going to back up a little bit and, and talk more about the, the context and some of the things about the book. But uh, really, I, I want you to think along with me here about the mirror, holding up a mirror to your own life as you read this story, because spoiler alert, the story uh, is about us at the end of the day. That's what the story is about. 
Now, uh, so some people want to ask questions. Uh, no sooner than I was here, 10 minutes, somebody asked me if I thought the fish was a real fish or if I thought, uh, you know, it was, a was it a whale? Was it a fish? Was it real? Was it an allegory? Was it, was it actual history? Um, I remember one time somebody asked Billy Graham about this and he said, I don't care if the book said that Jonah swallowed the whale. The Bible said it. I'll believe it. And uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I might have a little bit of trouble if that was the case. Um, but it, it's still a good story regardless of, of that. So was Jonah real? Well, um, this story, a lot of people have different opinions on it. I personally think that the story is historical. I do think it is real. I think it really happened. I think Jonah was a real prophet. Uh, they say that he prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II. So I definitely think he was a real person. And I do think the story is real. However, um, I also think that the story is intentionally uh, written and designed in such a way as to uh, want to mess with our heads a little bit. And this may be the part of it that, that you don't hear very often, um, but I, I agree with those scholars who think that Jonah, this book is written somewhat in the genre of satire. Okay. So you, you think of satirical sites. Has anybody ever read the Babylon Bee? Yes. The, the Onion, these, okay, these are satire sites. So um, I, I think that these are historical stories, but they're written and designed in such a way as to have these satirical elements. So I have never read Jonah and laughed before, but after I started studying it, and then I went back and read the story, I'm not gonna lie, I was cracking up, um, because it's actually really funny if you think about some of these elements and the way they're in there. So I'm gonna at least present that view to you tonight, and um, you, know, you can disagree with me if you want to. That's okay, we can still be friends. So uh, one scholar says that Jonah is the subversive story of a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. I'm gonna read that again. The subversive story of a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. Now that cuts deep. Uh, that cuts deep at least to me because I do have those times where I'm like, oh, like why, that, why is that person getting ahead? when I feel like I'm struggling? Why is that person seem to have all these, you know, material blessings or whatever have you, and I, I just get to brag about my Prius, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Amen, right, amen. So, so I'm like, you know, I get, I get that way sometimes, where I, it, 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 call it jealousy, call it envy, call it whatever you want to, but sometimes we wonder why God's not doing for us what seems to be happening for people who don't really care anything about the Lord. And that is Jonah's problem. So if you've ever you know, felt that, you are in good company. But just as the story does not end well for Jonah, that story doesn't end well for you either. And it also does not end well for the children of Israel. Remember, they were the original intended, intended audience of this story. And uh, as they're laughing along, picture, you know, I just, I just picture, this is probably not, uh, you know, very historically accurate, but I'm, I'm, you know, this is what I picture in my mind. I picture a bunch of, you know, Israelites in, in some sort of like, you know, bar here in some stand-up comedy, and the person's telling the story of Jonah, and they're laughing, 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 and then some preacher busts in and like, you know, hits them because the message is actually about them. So they're laughing at themselves because the mirror gets held up to them. So let me give you some thoughts about Jonah from 30,000 feet. Now, what's interesting is this clock right here, I think, runs faster than any other clock in, 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 in the world. Because I, when I'm out there listening, it's like, man, are they ever going to stop? But when I get up here, it's like my time is gone. Um, so I don't know what's the deal with this thing. 
Y'all speed it up for me, don't you speed it up just when I get up here. I know you do. Uh, so, so let me give you, let me give you the book at 30,000 feet. So it's a book about a prophet, okay? But there's no prophecy necessarily going on in the book in the terms of, you know, telling the future about something, okay? There's no prophecy going on there. It's a book about a prophet and there's no other entire book in the Bible like that or written like the book of Jonah is. Again, I've already mentioned, I believe that the genre is something like satire. And just to kind of show you what I mean by that, I want to give you uh, just three quick examples in the beginning here of how it, we might consider the story satire. So first of all, his father's name is Amittai, and Amittai means faithfulness. So literally, the rebellious prophet is called a son of faithfulness, okay? This prophet, who, as we're going to find out, leaves and tries to get 2,500 miles away from the place where God calls him, is a son of faithfulness. So for Israelites who know this story, it's like it starts out with, you know, uh, Jonah, son of Amittai, or son of faithfulness. And you're supposed to think that's funny. Now, I'm, I'm not a very good jokester, so you're probably not going to laugh when I tell the story. But that you're, that's what you're supposed to think. You're supposed to be like, you know, that's rich, like the son of faithfulness. Okay, the second thing. The prophet who is usually the mouthpiece of God is the rebel of the story, right? In every other biblical story that you've read about, the prophet is pretty much, you know, God's prophet is the good guy. But in this case, he is the rebel and the very mortal enemy of the Israelites, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, and basically everyone else in the ancient Near East are repentant. They are the repentant ones in the story. And God's prophet is the one who rebels. And probably the best thing of all is that after this five-word sermon in Hebrew, it's a five-word sermon that Jonah preaches to the Ninevites. Everybody, the king, they put on sackcloth and everything, the whole town, the whole city, the whole area, including the cows, repent in this story. Even the livestock repent, but the prophet of God runs and then gets mad when God shows favor to them. So, that these are supposed to be funny elements of the story. They would have been funny to a, to a Hebrew that was reading the story. So I'm just going to read this quick quote to you from one scholar. As a satire, the story of Jonah could be intended to highlight the ridiculousness of Israel's continued stubborn refusal to repent despite repeated prophetic pleadings and pronouncements of doom. In this case, the writer wants Israel and Judah to wake up and be ashamed for failing to repent when an enemy as wicked as Nineveh could repent so quickly based on such a short message from an Israelite prophet. So we're still looking at this thing uh, from 30,000 feet. So there are four main characters in the story, the rebellious prophet, repentant pagan sail uh, sailors, a powerful uh, king, Ninevite king who humbles himself, and repentant cows. The book was designed to mess with Israel's head and yours and mine as well. And here's the entire message if we were to zoom to the very end. If God can love your enemies, certainly you can too, right? That's the ultimate message of the story. And this book in many ways set the stage for what we would call that salvation that would include the Gentile believers as well. Because remember, this is God essentially his chosen, you know, people rejecting him and people who were not chosen of God, right? The Gentiles are repenting and God is choosing to show them grace. So this book is setting the stage for Jesus 
setting the stage for what is to come in the New Testament. Now, I have four kind of lessons that I want to walk you through. Um, this is lessons from legends, after all. So I'm going to give you four lessons from this story um, to give you reasons why you should love your enemies. Uh, frankly, that's what this will result in. But as we go through this, I want you to keep in mind sort of the satirical, you know, aspects of the story that, you know, you can laugh if you, if you feel the spirit so leading. But then I also want you to think about the mirror that's being held before you, which is the part that we don't really like. At least it's the part that I don't really like. Uh, and yet, um, if we didn't have this book, we didn't have God's revelation to us, we would know nothing of grace. So we should be thankful for stories like this that show us how flawed we really and truly are, how faithless many times we really and truly are. So I'm not beating you up. I'm beating me up. We're all getting beat up together by the word of God tonight. So I hope you'll uh, just join me and, uh, and enjoy it with me. So lesson number one from the book of Jonah is from chapter number one. You can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you cannot hide. Jonah uh, chapter one and um, starting in verse number two here, it says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Anatai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, I'm really bad with geography and history. And if you uh, are studying the Bible, it really helps to be good at those things. So I looked up a uh, map because I wanted to see really what Jonah was doing here, the, the, the broad scope of, of where he was going in relation to where God wanted him to go. And as I started to look into this, it was just, just amazing. So Jonah's destination is the Assyrian city of Nineveh. It was their capital city. And the Assyrians have a ton of biblical relevance. Uh, as you read through the Old Testament, you see their name come up time and time again. Um, look, at, they were not nice people at all. They just weren't. Uh, the Lexham Bible Dictionary has this to say about them. Assyrian reliefs depict the cruelty with which Assyrian forces treated defeated people groups. Assyrians commonly impaled, dismembered, decapitated, and disfigured defeated, defeated peoples. So they really were not nice. These were the baddest of the bad guys. This was Israel's essentially mortal enemy. Now, what's interesting is that this book has them at the end in total and complete repentance. But if you've ever read the book of Nahum, I just finished going through it in my, uh, in my regular Bible reading, uh, the entire book is essentially just a, a complete demolition of these people. It's explaining how uh, wicked they were. It goes into detail about how wicked they were and about how God was going to see that those people were overthrown. So it is three chapters just totally against the Ninevites and these people. And so, you know, understand that this is not God asking Jonah to go witness to somebody in Starbucks, right? This is a, this is a new level. This is something completely, entirely different. These were barbaric people. And it really doesn't surprise me that Jonah wanted to get away from them. So that is Jonah's destination. It is the Assyrian city of 
Nineveh. Now, Jonah is in complete denial about this as well. So first, the destination, and second, the denial. So what does he do? He gets on a ship and tries to get as far away from this place as possible. Do you have that picture you can, is it up there? Oh, I just can't see it. Okay, cool. So there it is. So the green circle over here is Nineveh, and the red circle over there is Tarshish, where he was trying. So this is where God wants him, and that is where he tries to go. 2,500 miles away across the sea. Now, again, this is a little bit different than God saying, hey, why don't you go down to Starbucks, right? And, uh, and witness to the cashier there, and you say, no, I think I'll go on my way. I mean, you shouldn't do that. However, you really should not do this. Uh, he ran a long way, or at least he was attempting to. And as we all know uh, how the story goes, uh, God stopped him in his tracks. He had an utter hatred for these people. Um, he was living in denial and he's like, you know, these people just really don't deserve the forgiveness of God. They don't deserve the forgiveness of God. And, and I, I just wonder if you, just for some self-reflection, because really that's what the story is about. Um, I mean, I can't think of specific examples, but definitely for the children of Israel, you have these scenarios where they didn't think that other people deserved God's forgiveness. That's the whole point. They thought, well, we're the chosen people. We're the ones chosen by Yahweh to, to, to be in covenant with him. But what did they do? We've talked about this a million times. I don't have to rehearse it. They rejected it constantly. And God continually showed them grace and they rejected. God showed them grace and they rejected, okay? Well, so God's like, all right, well, cool. I'm gonna start showing some other people my grace as well. I'm gonna start showing favor to these other people. And they deserve the message of repentance as well. But Jonah says, no. They don't deserve repentance. They don't deserve it. They're not God's chosen people. We're God's chosen people. But God's chosen people tries to go 2,500 miles away and run from God. And so, you know, you know the story. I mean, they, they, they go out and they get on the uh, ship. And I call this Jonah's disorientation because we're Baptists, so we alliterate. Can I get an amen? And so the, these pagan sailors are freaking out and they're trying to figure out who to repent to because what happens, God sends a storm. So he gets on the boat. Um, I'm assuming you know this part of the story, right? Because this is what everybody talks about. He gets on the boat. God sends this um, epic storm. And this is another funny element of the story, right? There is this um, epic God sent storm and all the sailors on the ship, they're trying to figure out what went wrong. They're polytheists, right? So they, they believe all these different gods. So they're literally going around casting lots, which is basically like drawing straws, going to one and, and the other and saying, you know, was it, was it your God that caused this problem? No, it wasn't my God. You know, like, I, and they're repenting to all these gods and trying to figure it out. And part of the funny thing of the story is in this whole tumultuous mess, Jonah is in the bottom of the boat, sleeping. Not aware of anything that's going on. And what's even better is when they finally go down and they wake Jonah up, he's kind of like disoriented and he's trying to figure out what's going on. And, and he raises up and he says this high and mighty sounding uh, prayer. I was, I was going to try to find it here. Um, yeah, they cried unto the Lord. Uh, okay, so let me see if I can find it. Um, uh, yeah, okay. Verse number nine, chapter one, verse number nine. And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. I just imagine this high and mighty Jonah waking up from his slumber saying, 
you know, oh, yes, I obey this God. Uh, it must be that, that this God, my God, is the one causing all of these problems. And the problem is, it's like, you were asleep. You're not some high and mighty, big old, you know, preacher dude. Like, you were asleep. And I, I don't know. I just find that really, really uh, funny. So basically, they wake him up. They draw straws, right? He gives this answer, you know, He's running from the God. He, he serves the God. He claims to serve the God who made sea and land. But what's he doing? He's running from it. He, he tries to get on the sea to get away from the God who is the God of the sea and land and made the sea and land. And this is where you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? And what do we do? What, what do we do when we get in our secret place or whatever? What do we do when we have those you know, those secret sins and those things that we don't want anybody else to know about. We think we're hiding from God, but on Sunday, it's like, hey, brother, what's up? You know, what's, you, know you were just yelling at the kids in the car the whole way here, right? That's at least my problem, okay? And like, coming here, it's like, you know, like nothing's ever wrong. You got a smile on your face, and it's like, who are you kidding? God saw you there. He saw me there, you know? He knows when I was giving the kids a bath earlier how loud I got. It was quite passionate, you know, and he saw that. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not standing up here. You know what I'm saying? It's like life is real. Real things happen. Things that we're not proud of. Things that we're ashamed of. And so why don't we just, uh, you know, give that to God and recognize that and live in that instead of trying to hide from the God who made sea and land. That's exactly what Jonah was doing. So it'll be the best day of your life. Get this, when you finally realize that you are not in control. God is the one who is in control. You can run, but you can't hide, okay? Lesson number two that we find from the life of Jonah is that God is faithful in spite of you. God is faithful in spite of you. So uh, chapter two and verse number 10 says, and the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So what happens? God sends this mighty storm. They cast Jonah over the side of the boat because they determined it was indeed the God of the Hebrews who caused this great thing. And these sailors are just scared for their lives. They don't want anything to do with Jonah. Get him out of my boat, okay? So they throw him overboard and God sends this great fish um, for what it's worth, if you really, uh, you know, care to talk about this a little bit, um, the, the fish, it is the word fish in Hebrew. I, I didn't look up the actual word, so I'm not entirely sure what it is. But it, the word is for fish. There is a word for whale in Hebrew, and it is not that word that was used. So if you care as to, as to what it actually was, it was some sort of fish. A lot of people think that it was literally a supernaturally created and prepared fish just for this circumstance. I can't comment on that because the story doesn't tell us any more about that. And enter what one, uh, one Bible teacher calls the veggie tales syndrome. When you think of Jonah, what do you think of? The whale, Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the fish. When really the story is a lot more serious than that. It's not about the fish. Sorry to ruin it for you, right? It's really not about, about the fish. And so that's actually part of, the, part of the issue here is chapter two is basically just a prayer. It's Jonah's prayer where he's kind of feeling, you know, I, I don't want to say that he has that, um, 
the new, what the New Testament calls a, a godly sorrow unto repentance. Um, I, in my personal opinion here is that Jonah's prayer uh, in chapter number two is Jonah got caught <laughs> and Jonah wants rescued. He doesn't want to die um, in the belly of the fish. And so he's giving thanks to God. Um, and it's this whole epic prayer. Again, I, I encourage you to read it. We're not going to read through it here. Um, but whatever you think Jonah's motive was, at the end of the day, God remained faithful. He allowed the fish to spit Jonah out, and he gives Jonah a second chance. I don't think I need to preach very hard on that. Praise God that he is the God of second chances. He's the God who allows us to fumble over and over again. And yet, thankfully, our salvation doesn't depend on us. It depends entirely on him. And he is faithful to do what he said that he would do. And those are the promises that we can rest on. So um, I wrote this down that we're grateful for God's rescue, but often we're slow to repent of sin. Because notice this, the, in that prayer, when you read it, you will find something missing. Jonah does not admit to any wrongdoing. He admits to no sin. Again, he's not seemingly repentant for his disobedience toward God. He's basically saying, can I have another chance, you know? But he's not admitting his wrongdoing. And so are you only ever grateful for God's rescue, but then unrepentant of the sin that you find in your life? Or you, do you continue to doubt God over and over again? And then he does something great in your life. And for like one night or for one day, you're on cloud nine again. And then the very next day, you're doubting him in those same circumstances again. Now, I'm not judging you. I do it, Right. And thankfully, God is faithful in spite of that. But here is a story that we can learn from someone. We don't have to do that. That is a, uh, I don't really know the best way to, way to word this, but it's something that you're doing to yourself. Pastor Colin preached a wonderful sermon on that. Um, it's been a few months ago now on a Sunday night that I thought he'd just really hit the nail on your head. You know, you are the one. I am the one that is creating this uh, sense of, of, of guilt in our life. You know, we're the one that when we keep falling back into sin, we bring that upon ourselves. We bring that guilt. We bring that shame upon ourselves because God has declared us righteous through his son, Jesus. We don't have to live in that. We can live in victory, not in sin. And so regardless, again, God is faithful. So the Lord responds favorably. He knows my heart. He knows your hearts. He knew the heart of Israel. This did not take him by surprise. So he wants us to be in his family he will go out of his way to extend grace. And if he doesn't prove that through the story of Jonah, and if he hasn't proved that in my life and in your life, then I just don't know how he can better prove it. All right, lesson number three. Let's move on in the story a little bit. Um, and I wish I could say it gets better, but it really doesn't. Uh, lesson number three from Jonah is that God will get what God wants. God will get what God wants. He will have his way no matter what you do. Now, yes, we are given a measure of freedom, right? I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that we have no free will. We can do what we want to do, uh, but ultimately it will work according to God's sovereign purposes. He will work it out. He absolutely will. I think of the story of Jonah where um, he said, he was talking to his brothers and he said, well, you guys meant for evil. God meant for good. We all have decisions to make, but God is sovereign. God is in control he directs our steps exactly where he wishes to lead us. All right, so Jonah chapter three and verse number four 
says this, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So after this whole thing, he tries to flee 2,500 miles away from God. God rescues him from the fish. And he says, all right, we need to try this again. Round two, Jonah, here's your second chance. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. And now this is, uh, this is like street preaching in Vegas, okay? Sin city, if you will, except it's a lot worse than that because these people will literally destroy you, okay? That is what they were known for. I've mentioned it already, dismemberment and all kinds of evil, ugly stuff. So imagine Jonah, he shows up and he starts preaching. Now look at, he doesn't mention this. Again, this is funny. It's a five word sermon. It's only five words in Hebrew. He says nothing about God. He doesn't say who's gonna judge them. He doesn't say anything about what they're being judged for. All he says is yet 40 days and you will be overthrown. It's a five word sermon. He only makes it about day's journey into what the text says would be a three day journey for him. And so he doesn't even make it the whole way. And somehow the text says that the, the, the message finally reaches the king. And the king and the whole city end up repenting. So first of all, here is the sermon of Jonah. It's merely five words. Now there's two possible reasons for this. Again, this is where the, the waters get a little muddy for me as to what really happened versus the way that the text is, is designed. Um, so one possibility here is that it's supposed to make the reader laugh. Uh, there's no mention again, like I said, of any specific sin, no mention of God, um, no passionate plea about things that were done. Um, an entire city repented because of a super ambiguous five-word sermon, including the cows, by the way. It's funny. It's like, what? Like, you, you, you have the promises of God. You were raised in the, in the Hebrew community, and you're mad at God, and yet these people who hate God, they're the mortal enemies of everybody else in town or anywhere around. I mean, they're literally known for all this pillaging and all this awful stuff. You preach an ambiguous, you know, five-word sermon and the whole place from the king to the cows, repent? It's hilarious. It makes no sense. Okay, so one part of it is that it could just be written that way. I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's also possible that Jonah engaged in what scholars refer to as prophetic sabotage. Now, I think this is really interesting. In other words, remember, would it be consistent with Jonah's character for him to not want them to repent? Absolutely. He doesn't like these people. Maybe understandably so. I mean, he might, he might have kind of a point. He really doesn't like them. And um, they were pretty wicked people. So he's ambiguous and short. He's there. He's like, all right, God, I did what you said. I'm here. I'm dipping my toe in. But I'm still mad about it. And he doesn't give them all the information that they needed. So it's, it's kind of funny because he might be trying to sabotage what God wants to do. And yet they still repent. And what, what may be a little interesting, this is, this is where the, the nerdy stuff gets fun for me, is the word that is used that where it says Nineveh will be overthrown. The word that is used for overthrown has two meanings. It could mean judgment. It's the same word that was used in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So it could mean that but it could also mean a turnaround or a reform, um, a change of heart. And so how funny would it be that Jonah goes and he tries to sabotage these people. He preaches judgment to them, the one meaning of, of the word overthrown. But then what really happens is that the other meaning 
of the word overthrow, where they just turn around and they repented. So there could be something to that, I think, as well. Again, what God meant, or, or what, what Jonah meant for evil, essentially, God meant for good. He could turn it around. So it's just, I think, part of the, um, part of the hilarity, but also the um, somberness, really, of the story. He thinks he's threatening their destruction, and he's happy about it, but then God changes their hearts, and he's no longer happy about it. So, um, the, and then also just the whole thing of that satirical irony going on in this whole story. If you read chapter three, you're going to see just a lot of this, um, that Jonah really tried to manipulate the situation. Um, and it's so easy for us to stand in judgment over Jonah. It's so easy for us to stand in judgment over Israel. It's so easy for us to stand in judgment over guys like Peter. You know, like Peter was a close disciple of Jesus. And if you ever notice that he's kind of like, he's kind of dumb, right? <laughs> like he, he fumbles around, he, he messes up, he said, you know, but, but isn't that us, right? Don't we do that? Don't we fumble around? Don't we mess up? And yet we experience the grace of God. So, are, are, but are we listening? Are we obedient or do we just continue to go in those cycles of disobedience? Can we, can we ever really finally give it to God? I think we can. That's what Romans 15, 4 says that uh, the word was written for our learning. All of these Old Testament stories, that's what they're referring to. The scriptures in those days for them was the Old Testament. These things were written aforetime for our learning that we through patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So even though we can see the ugliest parts of ourselves, in a story like this, we can also see the grace of God. Lesson number four, the final lesson, and we're almost done. And then Lord willing, I'm going to get to grow out tonight. You may hate your enemies, but what, am I not going to? I like to grow, okay? I'm sorry. I feel like you're judging me right now. <laughs> All right. Lesson number four, the final lesson from uh, this legend is that you may hate your enemies, but God loves them. You may hate your enemies, but God loves them. Um, this is so interesting. Chapter number four and verses one and two. Remember, God had just shown Nineveh this epic amount of grace. And this is what happens. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. What's he saying there? He's saying, God, I knew it. I knew you were going to be gracious to those people. I knew you were going to turn them around. I knew you were going to let the How, like, Twisted and unloving is that. He's literally extolling the goodness of God. It's, it's one of the greatest verses, I think, in the Bible that speaks to the true character of God. Uh, God, you're merciful. You're slow to anger. You have great kindness. You, you turn from the evil that you're going to do to these people. But Jonah means it in a bad way. Jonah is saying, oh, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to show grace to those people. Uh, I would just ask you to, 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 to reflect and, and Myself, I have reflected on this through studying the story. Do I do this in my own life? Because this is sick and twisted. It's about this part of the story where if I, if I was accurate at all about my uh, Hebrews, 
you know, sitting around in a bar or something and, and the, the comedian's telling these jokes and then suddenly the comedian turns into a preacher. It's about this point in the story where it's like, oh, he's actually talking about me. This is the stuff that I do. This is the stuff that my neighbor does. God loves those, even those whom you hate. God loves everybody. You can stand in judgment over people, but God still loves them. Nobody is too far gone. Pray for those who, in your own life, who you think have no hope. Pray. They do have hope. And I'm thinking right now specifically of people in my life who I've neglected to share with and I've neglected to pray for because I thought, surely, never. They, I didn't, they, you know, they're not church people. I didn't, I didn't you know, no, nobody that I know from church is like these people. But you know what? None of us were church people, right? Uh, and what does it even mean to be a church person? What we really need is the grace of God. Everybody, every person, from the highest and mightiest to the lowest of the low. In whatever society you have, you're all equal. The ground is level as the old preacher said at the foot of the cross. So this prophet of Yahweh is upset because of God's goodness and of God's grace. And the story ends with a question. Now, I don't have time to go through all of this, but essentially God teaches Jonah in chapter four with an object lesson. Jonah is feeling sorry for himself and God causes this plant, this special plant to grow and gives Jonah shade. And Jonah is just loving this plant, right? He's, he's just thanking God for this plant. And then what does God do? Jonah um, gets the plant taken away. Um, God gives him something that he's, he, he loves. He's excited about it. I don't know why he gets so excited about this plant, but he did read it. It's in there. Uh, he was super excited about it and God took it away. And Jonah's mad. Jonah's like, oh, why did you take away my plant? Yeah. And, uh, and the Lord answers, well, now wait a minute, Jonah. You're upset because I gave you this plant and took it away. But what about the people of Nineveh? The, the, the text says more than six score thousand persons. And I said, let me just read this. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Yes, let me die. I'm so mad because you took away my plant, essentially. All part of the humor, really, in the story. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left and also much cattle? Why do you care more about those little comforts in your life than you do about these people? That's what God was saying. And so... Uh, I'm pretty much done, but I, I just invite you, just as God asked Jonah, and we never get an answer from Jonah. And this is the point. At this point, the mirror is being held up to the original hearer of this story, and also to you to reflect and inspect in your own life whether you have fallen victim to this or whether um, God has done you so much good and given you so much grace that you should be willing to show that to other people.